Welcome to the podcast of Trinity Episcopal Church in Vero Beach, Florida. We are glad to have you join us. Our hope is that this sermon will instill you with a profound sense of God's love and that you might receive and reflect His glory to your community. From 2 Samuel chapter 18, and 10 young men, Joab's armor bearers, surrounded Absalom and struck him and killed him. In the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, good morning. We've been working our way this summer through our sermon series about David. And really, um, if you've been paying attention, it's, a, it's kind of a case study, if you will, of the human heart, mine, yours, David's. And the general gist of so far has been pretty simple, that we are all sinners and that we blow it. Even the best of us, even the ones who, Scripture says, in David's case, the apple of God's eye, even he falls short. But that God, in his mercy and his goodness, offers us a way out from under our brokenness. And one word, that word would be forgiveness. And the key to that, as we talked about last week, is that we are forgiven because and only because Jesus' death on the cross in our place pays our sin in full. That's the whole point. If there's one thing you get from this whole series all summer, it's this, that forgiveness isn't free. And the reason we are forgiven is because Jesus died to take our sins upon himself. That David's sin and my sins and your sins, friends, all humanity's sins, if they choose to accept it, are paid for by the cross. It's actually, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this today, but it's actually an ingenious solution. Here's a God who is both merciful and just. Well, how do you do that? Well, the only way you can be merciful and also demand justice at the same time is for God himself to pay the price. So Christian forgiveness, and I'm, and I'm going to move on, Christian forgiveness is not about pretending that things never went wrong. Christian forgiveness is not, oh, let bygones be bygones. Christian forgiveness is not, why can't we all just get along? That's just sentiment, and it's stupid. Christian forgiveness, friends, is grounded in the cross of Jesus, that Jesus takes the penalty for my sins and yours and anyone who calls upon him to be saved. Amen? We got that, right? Okay. Now, the reason he takes those sins from us is so that we can be free. Simple, right? Yes? <laughs> well, not exactly. Uh, forgiveness may be free, but it's awfully difficult to do. To forgive others, to forgive others when they've wronged us, and also, I think more importantly, to accept the fact that, really accept the fact that we are in fact forgiven. That is a crucially difficult thing to do, and that is what we're going to do a deep dive on today. Two points. We're going to look at David and his son Absalom as the characters in the story. And we're going to look at two things with this forgiveness idea. David's inability to forgive himself and Absalom's inability to forgive his father. 
David's inability to forgive himself and Absalom's inability to forgive his father. So first thing, um, if you've been with us over this summer, we've looked at this whole rise and fall and redemption of David. And if you were here last week, I talked about David and Nathan. And Nathan saying, David, yes, what you did with Bathsheba was wrong and kind of gross and nasty. Murder and adultery, fine. But David, your sin is put away. That was last week. This week, we fast forward about 25 years, actually. And now David is an old man. It's been a long time since that incident with Bathsheba up on the roof. But still, over the course of those years, David's sin, David's brokenness, David's fall has taken its toll. What I mean by that? If you go through and read chapters 12, which is last week, to chapter 18, which is today, you see that David, the David we have now in front of us, is a shadow of the man he once was. He is a train wreck, and his family is in tatters. For example, we just read, David's oldest son, whose name is Absalom, loathes his father, hates him, because... David's guilt, David's guilt over the situation with Bathsheba had made David weak and timid and unable and unwilling to resolve problems in his own family. For example, if you know that, go back and read it, chapter 13, 14, right in there. Absalom has a sister who is raped by his half-brother. She is raped by her half-brother. Absalom is, of course, furious dad. What are you going to do about this? What does dad do? Nothing. David, his sin, had had made him weak and timid, and Absalom, as a result, resented his father. And, if you know the story, Absalom was actually kind of like the old man. In some ways, Absalom was a a natural-born leader. He's the oldest son, so he gets all of the rights of that position. Absalom is a natural-born leader. He's got a taste for power. He's good at politics. He's a worker. And so what Absalom does, because his father just disgusts him, Absalom says, well, I'm taking this into my own hands. And Absalom goes out, and he raises an army, and he invades Jerusalem, and he chases his father out. And Absalom, the boy, leads a revolt against his father, King David, to kill his father and take the throne by force. That's where we are. You with me so far? Now, the thing I want you to see here, it's crucial, because this is a case study about David. No matter what Absalom did, no matter what he did, David did nothing. David turned a blind eye. He refused to discipline his boy until today's text. Read it again if you want to in a minute. But what happens is the story is forces Joab invades to overthrow his dad. David takes his armies and the two armies meet. And this guy named Joab, remember him from back in chapter 12? The same Joab who, uh, who whacked Uriah the Hittite, if you will. <laughs> Joab, Joab sees Absalom, the boy, the usurper, stuck in a tree. And Joab says, yeah, I know David doesn't want to touch the kid, but that kid's a pain in the neck and he's got to go. And Joab, against the direct order from the king, 
sees Absalom stuck in a tree. He takes his spear, shoves it through his heart, Absalom's heart. Absalom falls from the tree onto the ground. And Absalom's ten men, his soldiers, gather around and beat the pulp out of, him, out of Absalom until he's dead. It's a tragic end. It's a tragic end to a series of events that started all those years ago on the roof in the cool of the afternoon. But let me just ask you a question. All right, so it's unseemly. It's kind of nasty. It's political. It's family junk, right? But what, what's really at the cause of all this dysfunction? I'm going to submit to you that it's all of it is in, is in one word, and that word is forgiveness. Perhaps the most misunderstood word in Christian vocabulary. Forgiveness. Here's what I mean. Point one. I want to look at David's inability to forgive himself. See, remember back with Nathan last week? David confesses his sin. He admits it. He's brought to repentance. And Nathan says to him, David, your sin is paid for. Your sin is put away. God has forgiven you, David. But I wonder, I wonder if David really believed it. I mean, prior to the Bathsheba incident, prior to the Bathsheba situation, David was a strong leader. He was a man's man. He was a leader of the nation. He led his family. He led his army. He was decisive. He was bold. He was humble. All the things you want in a leader. David had it in spades. But yet, after his fall, after his sin, David falls apart. And the question is, why? Why do you think that is? There's only one reason. God forgave him. God had forgiven David because Jesus died for him on the cross. Talked about that last week. There's only one reason why David crashed and burned. You want to know what it is? I'll tell you what it is. Because David never forgave himself. David never forgave himself, and David never accepted that God had truly forgiven him. And let me just stop there and make the obvious point, because again, this is all of us, right? You know, forgiveness is a really hard pill to swallow. It's one of those words we throw around, oh, God forgives me. We say we want to be forgiven. We might even say we are forgiven, that God forgives us. But let me just ask you, do we really, do you really live like it? Do you really believe it? For most people, and probably a lot of us, for most people, the answer is a resounding no. What do I mean by that? Well, for example, David, come back to him for a second as the illustration. David, if he'd been forgiven, he would have known, man, I got to stop. Absalom is off the res. I got to rein that boy in. He should have corrected his son. David knew what was going on. He knew that his son couldn't be trusted. David knew that his son was working to undermine him. David knew his son hated him. And yet, David did nothing. Why? Because David refused to believe that God had actually forgiven him. David carried guilt. And as a result, he was unable to move forward in what had happened to his son. I'm going to give you an example. Just last week, I was on uh, YouTube on my iPad looking at some guitar videos. I'm a guitar player, and I 
That's what I was doing. Anyway, watching a guitar video, and on the sidebar there, there was a bunch of YouTube videos. One of them was Dr. Phil. Why? I have no idea. I don't watch Dr. Phil. I know who he is. Anyway, but it caught my eye, given the context of the sermon today, the video that was Dr. Phil interviewing a girl who was on doc, the Dr. Phil show complaining that her mother was not giving her her $10,000 a month allowance. 12-year-old girl, her name is Nicolette. True story. I think my, my kids might even know her name. But this girl's name was Nicolette something or other. Mom was a big, uh, big real estate developer on, in New York City. And the girl got 10 grand a month. And mom decided we're going to rein that into only $5,000 a month. And this 12-year-old girl, Nicolette, was outraged. Nicolette had a credit card with no limit. This 12-year-old girl, <laughs> astounding, had a nanny, had a driver, had a personal trainer at 12 years old. I was lucky if I got a bag of potato chips in my lunch bag when I was 12. Uh, this girl had everything, well, she had everything her, she asked for. My, she says, I quote, my mom gave, re, gave me everything I ever wanted. And she said, and that's got to continue. And of course, the crowd goes, oh, and which is what Dr. Phil's all about. And she says, it's got to continue. I am not a peasant. <laughs> and of course, everybody groans. I'm thinking, oh, this is just crazy. But I watched it, which is the whole funny thing. And so Dr. Phil says, all right. They come back from commercial. He leans over to the mother and he says to the mom, he says, you know, why do you give her all this stuff? And this is what the mother said. You ready? Mom says, well, you know, I work a lot in real estate. I'm never really around all that much. I guess I just feel guilty. And so I give in to her because I feel guilt. See, it's the same thing with David and with you and I, if we're not willing and able to accept forgiveness. Absalom's rebellion, <laughs> David's gradual slide into weakness and ineffectiveness, the coup, the political coup, which shook the foundation of the nation of Israel to its core, all those things could have been prevented if David had done one thing. You know what it is? If David had accepted God's forgiveness and lived like it. If David had really believed his guilt had been put away. If David had really believed that that sin was behind him and he could act in the way he was supposed to act. See, I believe the reason David became weak as a father, and why he let Absalom just walk all over him like that 12-year-old girl, why he abdicated his kingship, is because David never really forgave himself. David never really accepted God's forgiveness. David was a prisoner of his own guilt. Let me turn that around for a minute, and let me ask you a question on that one. You ready? How, do you ever let your own guilt hold you back? The answer is yes. It's a rhetorical question. We all do it. And what I want you to understand something here, very important, that maybe there's a little bit of you, maybe there's a big bit of you, that really doesn't believe that God has forgiven you. Forgiveness is an awfully hard thing to accept. Maybe you're tentative. Maybe you're overly careful that you don't offend others. Maybe you tread too lightly. Maybe you are ineffective because you don't feel worthy. Maybe you feel like deep down inside, you really 
haven't been forgiven after all. Deep down inside, you really haven't accepted the power of the cross that Jesus died to take that sin from you. The Bible says something astounding. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I want you to hear me when I say this. The Bible says, Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, meaning a Christian, whom Jesus has died to save, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. Do you believe that? Maybe you do. I hope you will more. Because you knew David might have said it, but he never really believed it. He bore his own guilt and it cost him his son. Friends, listen. If you are in Christ, if you have asked him for forgiveness and you claim him as your Lord and your Savior, you need to stop beating yourself up. You need to leave the guilt behind, leave it at the foot of the cross and let him forgive you. I think that what this really comes down to, this is my opinion, I really think we, I know I do, underestimate the power of Jesus' death on the cross in our place. I think we underestimate it. We don't give it all away. Friends, if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. Put it down. Let it go. But if David never forgave himself, and that's why he was ineffective and why his son hated him, the second point here is that Absalom never forgave his father. It's actually two sides of the same coin. You know, if you go back and read about Absalom, he was an angry young man. His rage, his hatred for his father, his is all ground in the fact that he never actually forgave the old man. You know, outwardly, if you read the story of Absalom, he's strong, he's smug, he's self-righteous, he's a leader, he's a political operative. On the outside, he had everything going on, Absalom didn't, but inside, he was a wounded, broken, ashamed little boy. <laughs> and Absalom never let that go. And he held on to that, that resentment, and that hurt turned to hate. And it cost him his life. While you might think about, have you put your guilt away and lived in the freedom God has, Jesus has paid for for you? I want to also challenge you this way. Every person in this room, there's a little bit of Absalom in all of us, right? Every one of us, you and I, have been victimized by someone else. We've all felt the consequence of other people's sin against our own lives. We've all been wronged. We've all been hurt. We've all been there. Maybe you are right now. But that's what the scripture is telling us is, you know what? Let it go. Let that go. Be willing to forgive. Don't let that anger chew you up and destroy you. It's a parasite. And you say, well, I can't forgive. I can't let that go. Yeah, you can. And here's how you do it. You ready? It's not that hard. I can't let that go, Father. Well, hang on. Think of it like this. Ready? If Jesus died for your sins, he died for theirs too. If Jesus died for your sins, he died for that person's too. Now, either that wrong that was done for you will be paid for in one of two ways. 
that person will pay for that themselves or God will take it from them on the cross like he did for you. And if you can just put the responsibility for righting a wrong away, let God handle it with the cross, you can forgive because it ain't your problem to exact justice. It's God's job, not ours. Do you ever notice Jesus says something? We say it every Sunday. You've probably said this a thousand times, maybe more. Jesus says, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father who art in heaven, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us, right? In other words, Jesus isn't saying, you know, you got to like everybody. He's not saying if someone's wronged you, you got to trust them or you have to hang out with them or you got to pretend like everything's fine. Nonsense. All Jesus is saying is let the power of the cross that has forgiven you be the same way that you have the ability to forgive somebody else. The only way, the only way you will forgive someone else is if you realize, friends, that Jesus died for them too. They may or may not take it, but he did. Friends, sin leads to consequences in our own lives and the lives of those around us. There's an old expression, there's an old expression that we, we reap what we sow. <laughs> and the word is warning us this morning something very profound and very simple. That the cross of Jesus is the key. Let's learn from David, his example, and be intentional and deliberate to put our past behind us and live like a new creation. Live like people that Jesus really has freed. And let us also learn from Absalom, the man who was resentful, and be ready to forgive, to walk in the freedom that Jesus has earned for you, and that Christ alone and his cross can give. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you for the life of David, for warts and all. There's a lot of them. Help us to accept the forgiveness that Jesus promises us. Help us to forgive those who have wronged us by the power of the cross in their place. Help us to be a new creation, set free from sin that binds us, controls us, and live lives that glorify you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity, visit us online at trinityvero.org and follow us on Facebook.